This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hail Varsity Radio, every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. On Thursday, show from counterread.com, Brandon Vogel, former Colorado football head coach Gary Barnett, and staff writer for The Athletic, Mitch Sherman, that and more. Hail Varsity Radio is the best sports talk radio show around. Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal have you covered every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. with Hail Varsity Radio. Welcome to Hurt at Sports Radio. Kicking off hour number two here on Hurt at Sports Radio, AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. We're live on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And I want to remind you that using your seatbelt saves lives and prevents injuries only if it is properly worn. Make it click. This message from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Joining us now on the Warhorse Sportsbook Hotline is uh, John Kinney. He is a lawyer here in Omaha. John, thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I got to figure it out because uh, as, as sharp as you are, as, so did you concede the Mason Kinney or like how, how how did that come come around? Like, I'm a guy whose first whose name doesn't have to come first. I imagine you're in the same vein. <laughs> you put me on the spot. No, no, right I'm totally just right I'm totally kidding. Like, I, it just it's funny because I remember you, you always would like coach me through my ego. So it was just like. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like the the mentor mentee, man. Good to talk to you. How you been? I'm doing great. And Jill is uh, smarter and uh, prettier than me, so uh, she her name should come first, but it doesn't. But you wear the sharp specs, John. I mean, you look so distinguished. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> good, good good morning, man. I haven't changed a bit. Not at all. <laughs> So this one's this one is this one is interesting, right? I, I, and it's it's kind of cool because you're really good at what you do, obviously. But um, you there's a sports component to you, obviously. You stay um, kind of up on things. Did did you anticipate or could you have seen these two worlds colliding when you when you're kind of reading through this case? Uh, absolutely. Uh, this is a a case with a lot of bells and whistles. It has a lot of uh, context and, and uh, details to it that are really, really interesting. And um, I, I think this is one of those things that is going to come down to depositions and witnesses and the, and the nuance of, uh, of the facts. And that's what's, that's what's great about the law. So, yeah, no, this is a very interesting case. John, I think one of the things that makes it most interesting, at least from my standpoint and kind of understanding of, of what I've read so far is the obviously the, the term grooming was used here 
which you typically hear when a minor is involved, but because of the power dynamics between a player and coach, you almost have sort of a minor type of relationship, even though they're both adults. How does that kind of play into this whole situation? And, and how do you, I guess, prove something like that in a civil case? Well, when I look at a, a lawsuit, I like to change the facts a little bit to to sort of play with the ideas that are that are in in the in the case. And so, if you if you just change the facts a little bit of this case and and say that you know Ashley Scoggin is 15, whoa, you know that changes everything, right? Mm-hmm. That's not what's happening here. So let's say she's 17. Uh, or 18, does that change how people feel or how people think about it? And if you read the online comments, you know, there's a lot of folks out there saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, she was an adult and she could, you know, make decisions on her own. And I don't know. I don't know when you think about a 22 or 23 year old person, uh, they're, they're not exactly mature. And the power dynamics definitely had to play a part here. So um, I just I think that grooming is a, a word that we've all gotten very used to, and it and it immediately sends us to the Sandusky case and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, now those uh, victims were obviously uh, much younger, but uh, there is you know there is something to be said for the power dynamic of somebody who can uh, manage your playing time who can mm. uh, as they said in the lawsuit make or break you so i i think that that's a a big component of this john are are we essentially looking at what would amount to a workplace sexual harassment complaint is that kind of like nuts and bolts sort of what this ends up being yeah, so when you look at a case like this, there's just a, a huge body of law from the employment context where mm. a manager or a, a supervisor has a, a role in promoting or um, making uh, big career decisions for uh, a, a, you know, an employee sort of underneath their management. And you can use uh, the facts of those cases and the law that's developed in those cases to sort of uh, create a template for this case, and and there is if you if you look at this case, there's there's allegations of retaliation. Um, there are there are going to be controversies over actual knowledge and you know when somebody knew something and how they knew it, and it'll be so interesting to see um, you know these these other student athletes. What did they say to what coaches, and and how are they going to prove that there was actual knowledge? Uh, of this relationship, um, but you can just see in the phrasing of the lawsuit mm. that it, it's clearly uh, hearkening back to you know all of the jurisprudence from these uh, sexual harassment cases that occur in the workplace. So, John, as you're kind of reading through this, and you're super smart, you went away more than you lose. Um, I got the sense that the picture is being painted more about the environment than the details. Is that a more sympathetic play when you're gonna go for something civil is how something made someone feel versus what may or may not have actually happened? Well, uh, 
that's that can kind of be more of a damages issue mm-hmm. um and and so it's sort of like the the humiliation and the pain and suffering is is part of the damages claim but i you know when i read the lawsuit um i think the boring part of the lawsuit is really interesting um the the part of the lawsuit that says there weren't policies that were appropriately developed there there wasn't any uh mechanism Okay, so did they have to be divulged? Because that would be something that's easy for the university to dispel because there would probably be handbooks. There are things that people sign when you take on scholarships. Like, what if that was in writing later on, though, J.K.? So, so Title IX requires schools to adopt and publish grievance procedures, and that's mentioned in the lawsuit. And those grievance procedures... Uh, according to the lawsuit, were not well developed, and they're, according to the lawsuit, again, these are just allegations. Uh, the the university did not promulgate uh, specific enough policies for uh, a student athlete who felt like they were being sexually harassed or even, you know, sexually assaulted. Um, the the mechanisms were not in place. Um, mm. You can just see in the lawsuit that, that just beyond the the allegations related to the the coach student athlete uh, relationship, there's a, there's a lot of time, a lot of ink spilled on the issue of these policies and procedures not being developed. And then and then you get into you know once once the assault or not the assault, but the the harassment is is sort of disclosed. Then, the, then there's, you know, again, harkening back to these sexual harassment cases, there's this reference to, re, you know, retaliation and um, not being, not, not creating, a, I mean, dismissing her from the team, you know, is that an appropriate response? And dismissing her immediately, is that an appropriate response? And I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but I, but I do think that there is a lot of grist for the mill. There's a lot of information in this lawsuit that's not the sexy part of it, that's not the titillating part of it, that's really going to be the, the interesting part of the case. So, John, if you're talking about depositions, obviously the, the, the team could play a pivotal role, right? So as I'm, as I'm reading through, and I didn't get through all 20 some odd pages but the the factual content where you talk about hey a player meeting or the players devised a ruse to get a key something like that and i don't want to get into the to the sensationalism of it more than i want to say apparently it it comes across as though the team had picked sides of of culpability right you're not trying to Necessary. It doesn't read as though you're out to get the coach. It reads as though there was a, an, an effort to, to pin the player. Do you read into that at all potentially as legal counsel when depositions loom? Like why does it seem like them against you? Well, definitely as a lawyer you'd look at it uh, and say, Wow, uh, all these witnesses are going to be lined up against my plaintiff because right. it sounds like people did pick sides, and uh, you know it's hard to. Find. It reads that uh, way. It, it reads that way, but but you know um, that's the great thing about the law. We're going to you know depositions are going to get taken, and and people are going to you know a case can turn on a few phrases uttered in a deposition. And there may be folks out there that are supportive of Ashley Scoggin that we just haven't heard from yet. Um, it, it does seem to be 
and I kind of thought of the movie Mean Girls, <laughs> and, and that's not appropriate, but it just it made me think like it, like a group of girls got together and decided that that uh, Ashley Scoggin was to blame for this mm. uh, in some way, and it kind of struck me as as a, a kind of a I don't know a group mentality that maybe kind of went awry, and maybe in hindsight people might look at it and and think differently about how they behaved and and the way they approached it, but. She was definitely getting blamed uh, for for this relationship, and probably had more to do with you know the violation of team chemistry and mm. hey we're a team and we want to uh, win and this is taking us away from winning, which I think you know when you're in that super super competitive environment that probably takes over, and then maybe as time goes on you look back and reflect on it and say well yeah maybe maybe we were prioritizing a few of the wrong things here. Mm. We're talking with John Kinney, a lawyer and partner at Kinney Mason Law Firm here in Omaha. Uh, John, one of the things that really jumped out to me, and you mentioned this um, in your response to DV here, was the difference in the way Chuck Love was handled versus the way Ashley Scoggin was handled. Obviously, she was kicked off the team pretty much immediately where Chuck Love was suspended with pay until he ultimately resigned uh, later on. How much does, how big of a role in this civil case do you think that's going to end up playing? Because that's the thing that really perked my ears up was how those two situations were handled differently. Well, one of the things that's interesting about that whole scenario is there's, there's hardly any gap in time between when there was a discovery uh, of, of this relationship and and Ashley Scoggin being released from the mm-hmm, team, mm-hmm. you know, and you would yeah. think that there would be a few days of at least an investigation. Yep. There would be some sort of a an effort to to interview all the the team members separately. To to you know, just it seems like that there was such a rush, and I'm not sure what's going to happen in terms of the facts that are developed about this hours long team meeting and people screaming at each other. I'm not sure that that's going to you know actually come out to be completely accurate but the timing just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense for a, for an organization and a and and for um you know uh, a team and and the leadership uh to to that that's supposed to have these grievance procedures for for these decisions to be made so rapidly it just it, it, it's it's not adding up and again by the time you get to uh, developing the factual record, it may be that there are a lot of uh, uh, procedures that were undertaken to investigate this. But the the, the time frame between discovery and, and dismissals and big decisions, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of time for uh, quiet reflection. It seems like there was a lot of heat and very little light um, on that. And I, I understand, John, that these are just allegations. But... I think the the main point in wanting to talk to you is just to talk about kind of the legal ramifications, not necessarily forming opinions. So as as I'm kind of looking at this, if in fact you're you're accurate in terms of how you would look at this, the timeline, the immediacy of playing versus not playing versus Chuck Love coach Love's suspension with pay. Would you look at, and I know you're human, but you, you do know the law, but would your first, at first blush, would you think, is this contractual that they can't get rid of him immediately? Do we not think he didn't do anything wrong? 
necessarily because we can't get rid of him immediately? Or is it because the policies are in place via Title IX that in accordance that we can't get rid of him immediately? Do you look at why there was the delay as you're looking at the allegations presented to you? You know, I don't really think um, that is a, a, a notable uh, element to this. I, I look okay. much more towards the, the plaintiff and, and Ashley's discogging and what happened to her. How they handled, um, you know, Chuck Love, um, you know, you can, you can criticize it in, in hindsight and say, geez, the guy got paid through May and get, got to finish the semester, you know, getting paid and whatnot. But, I, you know, in the grand scheme, I just don't, I just don't think there's, you know, a lot, a lot there on that. Um, I just, you know, I just wonder have- if that was upsetting to, to Scoggin's side where, wait a minute, you handled me like this. But he got to do this. Do you know what I mean? I'm just looking for the. I'm just looking for the, uh, the catalyst. Yeah, I, I think it's more of a um, an issue for talk radio and 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 chat rooms uh, from a legal perspective. Um, it, you know, <laughs> I like that. It, it, it doesn't really it doesn't really resonate. Uh, but but I think. I, I understand why people would talk about the the, the differences because there's already gotcha. this super big power imbalance that's being that's being discussed in the lawsuit itself, and then it, together with that power imbalance, all of a sudden you see two people being treated, you know, potentially differently, and and it and it piques everybody's interest. But in the in the from the legal perspective, I, I hardly think it matters. Whoa. So, so that's why we're talking, see, because I think that's huge, right? Because what. You, you prefaced it by saying, I think that's more for talk radio and chat room. So even as, as, as somebody that's really good amongst the tops in your profession, you think the differences in the way that the, the two people were handled is not very relevant as it pertains to the facts? Well, the guy, the guy got suspended. Uh, that's with, interesting. You know, and he no longer got to participate as a coach of the team. Mm-hmm. And, and that happened immediately. The, the the only thing that seems to be chapping everybody is the fact that he got paid for the next three or four months. I, I just don't, I'm not, I, I, you know, I they both got kicked off, you know. They, and so mm. I don't, I, yeah, I mean, I don't really. Uh, so you don't make a huge difference between dismissed and suspended. That's what this comes down to, right? I, I like the yeah. objectivity because it mm-hmm. would be easy from a legal standpoint to pick a side. But you're just being global. And well, and saying I think it's that an the, emotional the, issue. Okay, okay, I understand. Yeah. So legally, the difference between being suspended and eventually resigning versus being immediately kicked off the team, not significant. That's basically... Not significant with respect to the overall sure. loss. Handling of the... Trying to, okay, okay. Trying to prove the elements of your claim. Sure. In other words, if, if you're Ashley Scoggins' lawyer, you don't spend a lot of time thinking about mm. how, how they handled... Chuck Love. I mean, you, you maybe bring it up in a closing argument, or you 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 try to try to tell some fact finder that it seemed patently unfair. But in terms of proving mm. the elements of your claim, I, I just don't see it being one of those things that is is part of the elements of of, of what you're trying to do with these constitutional claims, these 1983 actions, mm. the Title IX claim. It just it, it's not um, it's it's interesting, but I I, I wouldn't focus on it. It's it's clear that, that Title IX has, has taken on a different role, a different meaning, different depth than I think its original intent. And it is it is 
It is very, I mean, you have to really be well-versed as it's kind of morphed through the decades. Do you see why maybe there was a two-year gap? Do you look at why there was a two-year gap? Is it due diligence? Is it things change? What, if you were going to take this case, would you ask that question? Well, the problem with any gap between the events and when you eventually file a lawsuit is that your lawsuit is going to create its own gaps, and lawsuits take years to, mm-hmm. to you know, uh, resolve. And so people's memories fade, evidence disappears, people die, people move, you know, and so you want to try to bring a, a claim as quickly as you can, but I think in this case, um, you're talking about a case that could have a huge psycho- a psychological impact on a on a, a still a very young lady and mm. and the and the amount of uh, heat and victim blaming and the, and the the kind of pressure I, I think somebody has to really really think hard about that before they bite that off and, and it's it's not something that that you do without a lot of careful planning and gotcha. and thinking about what's going to happen to your life. And so I think that's probably more of an explanation for the delay than anything else. John, I had one thing that you brought up a couple times, the, um, the Title IX requirements in terms of having paths forward to, uh, to have policies for these complaints and how to, how to deal with these. But one of, the, one of the things that the suit alleges is that uh, Amy Williams and Athletic Director Trev Alberts failed to ensure the coaching staff maintained appropriate boundaries with yeah. student athletes. What is the university's role there? Does that fall under Title IX compliance as well? Or th- that's the part that I wasn't totally sure where, what is the university's actual responsibility there? Yeah, the Title IX requires every school to, to have and, and make known procedures for students to file complaints of sex discrimination. And um, and as part of that, um, you you have a duty to inform student athletes uh, of of their rights and um, and really educate them on you know what they what avenues that are available to them should they be subjected. I mean, in in a lot of cases that you read. It's student-on-student sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, a lot of the, the cases outside of the, you know, Title IX context can involve, um, you know, um, the workplace. But you also have teacher-on-student on harassment. You know, the coach element and the, and the athletic uh, element to this is, you know, you don't find that a lot in the, in the you know, context of uh, sort of a management-down sort of a lawsuit. So... Um, I, I think um, this is just very, it's very interesting, that part of the claim um, that, that there's been a sort of a systemic failure to, to educate student-athletes on uh, what to do about sex discrimination. And honestly, my guess is that there was probably a huge focus on student versus student sexual harassment mm. because that's 95% of, of probably the likelihood of of any problems and so the 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 fact is is you sort of focus so much on that that you might miss 
this element of the of the grooming and the and the power imbalance and the things that can happen with a coach student athlete type of case and so you know maybe that was just a hole in the in the thinking or the or the procedures um, and that that might explain why this particular you know um, case ha- has some uh, a unique elements to it where where the university just didn't see this coming. John. Fantastic. Great John, stuff, John. Uh, we appreciate your time. That's John Kinney from Kinney Mason Law Firm here in Omaha. John, thanks so much for joining us and help us get a little smarter this morning. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, John. That's John Bye. Kinney, lawyer here in Omaha. Really good stuff. Uh, really interesting perspective on some of those things as well. Uh, coming up next, we will hop back into a little bit of Creighton and UConn talk tonight and maybe wrap up some additional thoughts that DB and I have from that conversation with John here on Herdette Sports Radio. Hail Varsity Radio, every weekday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. On Thursday, show from counterread.com, Brandon Vogel, former Colorado football head coach Gary Barnett, and staff writer for The Athletic, Mitch Sherman, that and more. Hail Varsity Radio is the best sports talk radio show around. Chris Schmidt and Elijah Herbal have you covered every weekday, 4 to 6 p.m. with Hail Varsity Radio.